It's time for Culture Shift right here on 1019 WDET. It's Tuesday, October 1st. 31 Days of Halloween begins right now. I'm Ryan Patrick Hooper. We have so much to do on the show today, but we're going to start by looking back on a huge piece of Detroit sports history. 20 years ago, fans made the last pilgrimage to the corner of Trumbull and Michigan Avenue for the final game at Tiger Stadium. The stadium had grown and been updated many times since the first grandstand was built in 1895, and its closing was not popular with many Tigers fans. Still, the corner remains a beloved memory for thousands of Detroiters, and we want to hear from you too. What are your biggest memories of Tiger Stadium through the years, and how has being a Tigers fan changed since the stadium closed? You can call right now, 313-577-1019 to share some of those Tiger Stadium memories. Again, that's 313-577-1019, and we'll get you live on the air. And to look back on Tiger Stadium today with me, I've got three people. We've got Culture Shift's own Amanda LeClaire, as well as writers Bill Dow and Dave Mesre. Mesre is a founding member of the Navenfield Grounds crew, and Dow recently wrote an article for the Detroit Free Press saying that when Tiger Stadium closed, Detroit lost a piece of its soul. Wow, that's heavy, Bill. That's very heavy. So let's get right into that. For you, you know, what did Metro Detroiters lose with the stadium's closure, Bill? Well, they, they lost a very historic site that had been common ground for generations of Detroiters, Michiganders, baseball fans. 103 years, the Detroit Tigers played at that site. It was a really a wonderful venue. It, the stands were closer to the field than any other ballpark, actually, in the history of Major League Baseball. That's been documented by architects. It was a, a, a fabulous place to watch a baseball game. It's got sometimes a, a bit of a checkered history, too, but a lot of... Great events happened down there. Nine World Series, three All-Star, Major League All-Star games, two NFL World Championships. Nelson Mandela spoke there. Um, Bob, Joe Lewis boxed there. It just a number of the three tenors, Rod Stewart, the Eagles played there. I mean, it was just a great historic site. And, and Bill, it really had a, a lot of memories for so many Metro Detroiters and so many generations of Metro Detroiters, too. You really can't. Uh, you can't go down to to Corktown without remembering what used to be there. I want to talk about the final game, which was September 27, 1999. Now, Bill and Dave, you guys were both there when the Tigers played the Kansas City Royals and beat the Kansas City Royals. And Bill, in your article for the, the Free Press, you mentioned that there was something really unusual about uh, something that happened before that game in the locker room. Uh, interesting enough, I, I interviewed Todd Jones, the uh, closer, who actually finished off that game by striking out Carlos Beltran, and he mentioned that John McHale, the Tiger president, came into the locker room prior to the game, and they, he never would be in the locker room like that. That's usually you don't see presidents of teams going in the locker room, and he says, we have to win this game. And uh, this is not this was a team that was very sub-500, but it was such an historic event, uh, they wanted to close it out on a good note. So he really implored them to, come on, let's try to pull this out. And they certainly did in dramatic fashion. Yeah, and after the game, there were 68 former Tigers that came out to celebrate the, the, the close of the stadium. So let's talk about that night more. Uh, what was it like sitting there in the, the stands watching this go down? 
It was really electric that whole day. It was a very warm day. It was like 85, 86 degrees, beautiful sunshine. There was quite a buzz. It almost had the sense of a World Series game to me. I mean, it was uh, very exciting, although sad. You know, people were going there knowing this was the last time they'd be there. But um, there was just so many memories, so many people taking photographs uh, with family members, friends, um, just that whole experience. I actually was fortunate to sit with uh, several members of the Tiger Stadium fan club, which I had been in, very involved with trying to save the ballpark. So it was bittersweet. I was glad I was there and witnessed it. Um, same time, it was so sad to uh, see the final game played there. But it was exciting to see what happened that day when they pulled it out. Yeah, And we're also looking for your memories of Tiger Stadium. Uh, what's changed in the years since its closure? 313-577-1019. would love to talk to you on air. Just give us a call. And we are talking right now to Bill Dow and Dave Mesry. Uh, Bill Dow is the author of... Tiger Stadium, Essays and Memories of Detroit's Historic Ballpark, 1912 through 2009. And Dave, you have also written a ton about Tiger Stadium over the years. You're also a founding member of the Naven Fields Ground Crew. Uh, can you explain that and what happened in the years since the stadium closed? Sure. Well, like, like Bill, I was at the final game uh, 20 years ago this week, and uh, it, was, it was such a momentous occasion. It really, uh, it really struck a chord with everyone who was there. And I still remember the, the words of Ernie Harwell still ring in my ears. Uh, as, as the lights went out uh, in the postgame ceremonies, Ernie was the MC, and he said, uh, he said, farewell, Tiger Stadium. We will remember. And so that was 1999. Fast forward 10 years, and they, you know, um, there was a group, the old Tiger Stadium Conservancy, who wanted to do something really unique uh, with the stadium to preserve a portion of it. The whole thing, it wasn't realistic to save the whole stadium, but the Conservancy tried to preserve a portion of the stadium, the original Navin Field configuration, which was approximately from first to third base, upper and lower decks. And so when they began demolition in 2008, <clears throat> uh, the city left that Navin Field configuration standing for about a year, from 08 to 09. And the city and the Conservancy and the DEGC all went back and forth for many, many months trying to figure out how to incorporate that configuration into a new development, you know, a sort of a mixed-use retail residential thing. It was a great vision, but it wasn't meant to be, you know. the So they finished demolishing that in September of 2009, 10 years after the final game. And by the spring of 2010, uh, you know, the, with the words of Ernie Harwell still echoing in my head, uh, they had finished demolition. Well, there was a lot of remnants left. There were a lot of, you know, there's a lot of rebar and rocks and a lot of weeds and things uh, at the site. And uh, so I went down there one day right after Ernie died. In fact, Ernie died in May of 2010. And right around that time, I went down to the field to see what it looked like. And it was a mess. You know, it was nine acres of garbage and weeds. And so that's when uh, I met a guy named Tom Deary, and uh, along with a, a bunch of our friends, Tom's wife, and all sorts of and, and strangers, we formed this, you know, when it opened in 1912, it was called Navin Field after Tiger's owner, Frank Navin. So Tom Derry thought, well, the stadium is gone, but the field is still here, so why don't we call ourselves the Navin Field Grounds Crew? So for six long, strange years, we cut the grass and picked up the garbage and, and restored it as best we could, and that was, that was a, a very interesting uh, era in the history of that corner. So this, uh, this, this corner, not only was the Navin uh, Field built in 1912, baseball had been, been playing there here in Detroit for, for years before that. Right. Um, actually, it opened uh, April 28, 1896. It was a wooden ballpark. 
uh, that sat uh, 5,000 people. Uh, named, it was called Bennett Park. The Tigers, they were the Detroit Tigers. They were a minor league team in the Western League. 1900, uh, they became the American League, uh, still a minor league league. And then in 1901, they became one of the major leagues, uh, American American League. And um, and then it you know, then because of the popularity of baseball with uh, Ty Cobb, who came in with great players, Sam Crawford and so forth, other Hall of Famers, they uh, they were in three World Series, 07, 08, 09. Naven decided, you know what, I've got because of the popularity, I got to redo the stadium. He totally tore it down over the winter of 1911, built a cement structure named at Navin Fields, had 23,000 people, opened on April 20th, 1912, the same day that Fenway Park opened in Boston, and six days after the Titanic uh, sank. Oh, wow. Interesting. No, this is kind of eerie to hear this, but I remember reading one time there was a resident in Corktown who was a Titanic survivor, and he said that, uh, you know, years later, um, when he'd hear the roar of the stadium in the distance, it reminded him of the Titanic going down. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think I would have moved. <laughs> Speaking of Tiger Stadium and the neighborhood it was in, maybe you have a memory of Tiger Stadium going there. Maybe you grew up in that area. Maybe you just uh, really enjoyed a hot dog there once and you want to talk about it live on air. You could call right now, 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. Now, Bill, talking a little bit about that area around uh, Tiger Stadium, it really at one point looked like Wrigleyville. I mean, it was built in a neighborhood. It was walkable. It was dense. And there's really nothing like that in Detroit at all. Can you kind of describe just the the makeup of the neighborhood around Tiger Stadium? Well, there was, you know, it was a situation where it was, uh, you know, fans would park in the neighborhood. There were parking lots, certainly. It was easy to get in and out of that area, certainly. Um, you know, several bars that were uh, there certainly and still are, Nemo's for one. Um, and so it was, you'd have peanut vendors on the streets, people who, um, you know, it was just, I don't know how to explain it. It was more of a, like you say, a Wrigleyville feeling, people coming out through the neighborhood, being part of it, um, that whole feeling. Um, you know, I can't help but think now all the thing that's going on in Corktown, the amazing development, if that ballpark had been preserved in uh, in a in a more respectful way, I would say, you wonder what it would be like now. Maybe it would even have been renovated. Who knows? But you can look back and, I suppose, and look at that. But it was a it was a great place to go down. I just loved walking down Michigan Avenue and looking up and seeing the flags on top of the ballpark just waving. And uh, Al Kaline described it. It looked like a battleship in the harbor in Baltimore when he came into Detroit. There's something about it. And there's just there's electricity around it. And um I don't know. It was just, I loved uh, that whole area myself. I still do. It's, Corktown's a great place. What's the national importance of Tiger Stadium? So as we're talking about it from that local angle, what it was like to go down to Corktown for decades and, and, and go see a game nationally, what was its reputation? It was known as a, a great ballpark with great sight lines. Um, you, could, you could sit in the upper deck at Tiger Stadium and be closer to the field. In fact, the the last seat in the upper deck of Tiger Stadium was closer to the playing field than the first seat in the front row of Comerica Park. It was just a it was just a great ballpark to watch a game from the outside. You know, as it evolved, it turned into a strange sort of uh, uh, architecturally. It, it turned into kind of a strange spectacle. But to sit there and watch a game, 
you know, the, um, so in the wake of the grounds crew and our, you know, we, we hope to preserve the field. That was our, our goal. And uh, while, while things didn't quite, or didn't quite turn into the historic preservation project we had hoped, uh, something good really came out of it. So, you know, at the time, I didn't realize it, but in recent years, uh, I've hooked up with a group called the, uh, the Friends of Historic Hamtramck Stadium. And our, our group, the uh, Navin Field Grounds Crew, we have, uh, we've changed our name. We've moved over to Hamtramck now. We call ourselves the Hamtramck Stadium Grounds Crew. Uh, there in Hamtramck, as your listeners probably know by now, there's an old historic Negro Leagues ballpark built in 1930, which was the home of the Detroit Stars, and it's one of only five major, league ball, major Negro League ballparks still standing in the country. So we're working with the, uh, with the city of Hamtramck, with the Friends of Historic Hamtramck Stadium, to preserve that site. And the grandstand there, it, at one point, it held about eight or 9,000 fans, and over the years it was scaled down. And today, it's all bleacher seating and holds approximately 2,000 people. Uh, it needs some TLC, but it is still standing. And so we're hoping to accomplish in Hamtramck what we weren't able to accomplish in Corktown as far as historic preservation. And in fact, if I may, the... Um, at the last game at Tiger Stadium, when all the old players came out onto the field in the postgame ceremony, uh, the first player out, of course, was Mark the Bird Fidrich. And then later uh, came former Tiger Ron LaFleur, who was uh, infamously arrested after the game. It was an unfortunate incident, but he got through that. And so LaFleur, like me, grew up on the east side of Detroit. Uh, in fact, he lived one street over from me in the 70s when he was the Tiger center fielder and an American League All-Star. So uh, just a few just a few weeks ago on the uh, 40th anniversary, they made a movie about Ron LaFleur's life. It was called The uh, One in a Million, The Ron LaFleur Story. He had robbed a, a bar on the east side of Detroit when he was 21 years old. He ended up in Jackson State Prison for a few years. But uh, there he joined the baseball team, and it turned out he was really good. The Tigers ended up signing him, and he became a star for the Tigers. Now, here is a center fielder, a black man playing center field at Tiger Stadium, wearing number eight. And it occurred to me when he was back in town recently at the Detroit Historical Museum, we watched uh, the Ron LaFleur story on the big screen with Ron LaFleur 40 years after the fact. And um, Turkey Stearns, so Turkey Stearns was the star center fielder of the Detroit Stars who played at Hamtramck Stadium, and his family was in attendance. And it occurred to me that Turkey Stearns was a center field, a black center fielder who wore number eight, just like Ron LaFleur many years later was a black center fielder who played in Detroit and wore number eight. But Unlike Ron LaFleur, Turkey Stearns was not able to play. He was, a, he was a star of the Negro Leagues. He was one of the finest ball players, and he's in the Hall of Fame today. But in his day in the 1920s and 30s, he could not play for the Detroit Tigers because of the color of his skin. But after he retired from baseball, he went to work for Ford Motor Company for more than 20 years. And every day, he used to go to sit in the lower deck of the center field bleachers and watch the Tigers. And there he could sit and watch a black man wearing number eight playing center field right before his eyes. Yeah. And so there's this really interesting um, juxtaposition, I guess, between Tiger Stadium and Hamtramck Stadium. You know, I'd add in terms of the history of it, um, and I have it documented in the book, there were 170 baseball Hall of Famers who played on that field. And as I say, there were nine World Series players. The, the Tigers won two of the world championships on that field, 1935-1984. The Lions won there, their last two world championships in 53 and 57 at that site. Um, it's where Lou Gehrig ended his consecutive game winning streak. He took himself out of the lineup. Um, we later found out he had ALS, of course, that he's named after him. Babe Ruth is said to have hit his longest home run there. Um, there's just so many different aspects of the history of the place. And what's interesting is, well, I'll say this, 
The Field of Dreams movie set in Dyersville, Iowa. Now, this is a movie set with the cornfield and everything. They get 60,000 people a year going to that site, and it's a movie set. We had the real Field of Dreams here uh, at Michigan and Trumbull. In fact, in 1912, April 20th, the first game at Navin Field, the first player to score a run, and it was in the uh, top of the first inning, was at the time he played for Cleveland with shoeless Joe Jackson. And the first Tiger to score a run was in the bottom of that first inning when Ty Cobb stole home plate. These are the real people. They played on that field. And, uh, you know, it, it's history. It was on the National, uh, National Register of Historic Places. Um, certainly is also on the Michigan um, it was until it was torn down um, as a Michigan historic site. So, yeah, great, great history. Again, we're talking to Bill Bow, co-author of Tiger Stadium, Essays and Memories of Detroit's Historic Ballpark, and Dave Mazur, writer and Navenfield's grounds crew founding member. Now, I want to ask you guys, um, with with the historic preservation, sort of the failure of the historic preservation that was done at Tiger Stadium, going uh, forward in the future, what would you suggest that, that cities and residents do? Well, you know, for one thing, I don't think, personally, I don't think taxpayers should be subsidizing professional sports. I think it's a real <laughs> a real problem. It's one of the things we were opposed to the new stadium. Not only did we want to preserve it, have a historic ballpark uh, like Wrigley Field and Fenway Park that have been extremely successful. World championships have been won there. Um, and, and I think there was an effort in Cleveland, League Park, um, which was the only thing left was a wall, basically an outfield wall. And I understand they have preserved the field there. Um, uh, but, you know, there's, there's definitely def- – there's been grassroots efforts before of people trying to preserve their local ballparks, minor league stadiums that have been around a long time. Um, ours is one of the bigger efforts. Uh, there was also the Fenway Park Fan Club was very key in, in convincing the ownership there to save it, and thankfully they did. Um, it's, just, it's just too bad that the only time the Tigers ever marketed Tiger Stadium was in the last year of the stadium. And um, we, I think they took it for granted what we had here, but um, it is what it is right now. Yeah. I'm, glad there's, I'm glad that uh, baseball is being played there. Detroit Pal um, has their operation there. I personally, I don't like the artificial turf. I think it's very unfortunate for a number of reasons, but I'm glad there's not a big box sitting on that historic site. Um, so at least, you know, baseball is still being played there. And Detroit Pal is a great organization. Yeah. We've been talking about the 20th anniversary of the closure of Tiger Stadium, which was uh, the last game was played on September 27th, 1999. Thank you so much, Bill and Dave, for coming in studio today. Thank you. Thanks so much. This is 1019 WDET's Culture Shift. Shift. We're going to take a look at the golden age of Hollywood. 
Not only is the movie Judy about Judy Garland now in theaters, but there's also a new book that sheds some light on the private lives of some of the biggest stars from that era in Hollywood. And we'll dive into the roundup and also see what's going on in the world of restaurants with Detroit News restaurant critic Melody Batons. That's all coming up right here on Culture Shift on 101.9 WDET.